Esther. We appreciate it. And even more, the Lord appreciates willingness to serve Him with the talents and abilities He's given us. Funny how the world and the enemy of God seeks to drain us of our talents, but not before He uses them for His purpose. The whole world was rocked by the news of the suicide of one of the world's most funny men, Robin Williams. You may have heard of it, may have been stunned by it, like so many other people. If you have not been here, we are going to continue our series of recreation and revival. And Robin Williams can fit significantly into this series. We have looked at how the impact of our recreational activities affects our revival, which is a no-brainer, really. What you do for recreation will affect your revival, not just the spiritual revival, but re being revived. It's just common sense, common logic. But what we're doing is going a little deeper in how recreation can invisibly impact, how media in particular impacts our thinking, our way of seeing things. We looked at the parable of the log and the eye and the splinter and how Jesus seemingly uses humor for people to understand something. One guy has a log through his eye and he thinks he can tell somebody with just a splinter how to see better. It's really preposterous. It's funny. It's ridiculous. But what he's trying to do is bring our minds to the attention of our own possibility that we are trying to say how the world is and we ourselves have our view, our world view, blocked. It's a deep but simple thought. And Jesus encapsulates it in a humorous parable. But it wasn't about a literal eye or a literal log or a literal splinter. He was trying to get us to think about how we think. Technical term, metacognition, reflection, critical reflection on how we think. And we brought that story to the end time warning of Christ, who says, I'm telling you these things so that when you see, you will know, so that you will interpret the data the signs for what they really mean. While the world is going to carry on like the days of Noah, eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage, partying, working, lots of things, the signs are there, Jesus says, like the days of Noah, but they won't interpret it right. 
They will think tomorrow's going to be like today and it's going to go on and on and on. Despite, not talking Jesus now, but just today, despite all the practical appearances that the society is disintegrating. The moral backbone, whether people are Christians or not, they had a sense largely of common decency, consideration of others. Right now, the, the majority of um, people, 99% of the people, have a much smaller piece of the pie. Statistics show that, um, that the 1%, the 0.1% of the population has 30% of the wealth today, where years ago they had much less. And if the trend continues, society, from secular perspective, cannot stand. There is no example in history of society reaching the stage of, of wealth centrality and not become either a police state or worse, feudalism. We are living in days where you don't have to be a Christian reading the Bible to see that times are tough. And yet, if it's going to be like the days of Noah, people are going to be going on, not thinking deep, not thinking spiritual. They might call it spiritual, but they don't. Why? When the signs are so obvious, why don't people change the way they think and act based on good sense? Could it be? Because their way of thinking has been invisibly infiltrated by the enemy through innocent entertainment. I shouldn't say innocent. Through entertainment they deem to be innocent. Think that's possible? I know it was in my life. And still fight the battle. It's something so easy when you're tired and you go home and you... Like we talked about through music, the songs that reach us with their feeling, their pathos, and we identify, yeah, it's bad when your girlfriend leaves you. Oh, it hurts when your truck dies in the middle of the traffic on a bad day, or your dog dies, or whatever. They can identify, and they have the sound of the music that, oh, I feel that, man. You feel my pain. I know you do. But then mixed in a little bit is come on down to the bar, have a beer, and be with the boys. That's a real man. Or add your list. Or movies that have a good percentage of good stuff and yet mixed in just a little adultery or, you know, homosexuality or you know, just a little bit, but it's still funny, and they're such nice people, or funny people. That's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. I think one of the most subtle, diabolical tools of the enemy is humor, comedy. Just laugh at something enough, and, and, or just make it funny enough. Just couch it in such a way to make it funny so that people will be laughing at the law of God. They can think they're spiritual. They can think they're good. 
They can help their neighbors. They can be known like Robin Williams was known as being a nice, warm-hearted guy. But meanwhile, knowing personally that he was giving himself to a dark power for his humor. Let me read what he himself wrote in an interview, or was recorded saying in in an interview. Literally, it's like possession. All of a sudden, you're in, and because it's in front of a live audience, you just get this energy that just starts going. It is possession, he says. In the old days, you'd be burned for it, but there is something empowering about it. I'm in a place where you are totally like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, evil. Comedy is where people can get as dark as they can in the name of comedy. Robin Williams, Mr. Nice Guy. He knew, if you read the rest of the article, he knew from the examples of his heroes like Jonathan Winters that you dance with the devil and the dance doesn't stop when you say so. First, you're making fun. He was known, not in his comedies like Mork and Mindy and Mrs. Doubtfire or something. He's known as being kind of family friendly. But his stand-up comedy or his interviews on late night television, he, as it goes on to say, uh, as the interviewer is saying, stand-up is where you go into that stream of consciousness filled with vulgar language, perverse sexuality, and glorification of drugs and drunkenness. That was his stand-up act. So while we do mourn the loss of an individual who made us laugh in innocent ways, the tragedy that you probably won't hear on mainstream news is, he kind of knew what he was getting into. He struggled with dark depression for years. As his daughter said after his passing, he was never able to find peace. What started as just speaking against the commandments of God, not against God himself usually. He was not a Satanist overtly. Not saying that at all. It's saying that he took part of an attitude that the goal is to be funny, whatever it takes. And that makes him susceptible to an enemy who says, you take somebody like that and you make him so funny that people can't help laughing at God's laws. And more than that, they're not just laughing at God's laws, they're taking on the point of view that they should be laughed at. And pretty soon that infects their framework of life. And as Robin himself said in his most latest trip to the rehab, I had to go to the rehab because I was violating my standards faster than I could lower them. It's a brilliant statement because it's so applicable. 
not just to him, but to the majority of human beings who are honest with themselves. That set a standard and said, this is the way you should be. Like the parable. This is how you should be, but after a time, you realize you're honest with yourself and you're not keeping your own standards. What starts out as maybe making fun of God's standards or maybe that Christian who seems a little too clean. You don't need to be like that. So you make a little joke about him maybe. You demean him, but at the same time, you're dishonoring God as you're demeaning a brother who's sincerely doing their best to follow the Lord. So in the name of God, we demean others in the name of humor. Because it's funny. And we can tell a joke about something that makes evil seem acceptable. As long as somebody's laughing. That's what makes it so diabolical. Because it is funny. In my developing Christian years, I remember watching some Christian, some not Christian show, just some comedy thing, some stand-up thing. And I laughed, and then afterwards I thought to myself, wow, I am laughing at stuff that God says not to have any part of, not to do. He says it's bad. He says don't do it. So what am I doing tuning in and laughing? Something's wrong about this. We are susceptible to an enemy who wants to infiltrate our way of thinking to where we actually accept evil as good and good as evil. Turn to our scripture reading in Psalm 19. I've used a couple of these verses before in a little bit different way, but I'd like you to notice that right in them is this very issue. Not just humor or TV or something like that, but just the, the way that it can get into our way of thinking. The enemy has this diabolical, invisible, infiltrating power that we are so susceptible. Psalm 19 verses, um, well I should say verses 7 to 10 as a block list the dependability of the Lord's commandments, His law, His judgments, judgments, way of seeing. He judges something to be right or wrong. And so he, the Bible is promoting God's way of seeing as the right way to see. Dependability. Look at verse 12. I believe it's verse 12. Yes, proclivity. Cleanse me. Partway through the verse, cleanse me from my secret faults. Secret doesn't mean something you're purposely hiding, but hidden, invisible. Cleanse me from these secret faults. Keep me from presumptuous sins. He's addressing, the psalmist is addressing this internal, motivational level of our hearts. Not just the don't drink level affecting your external behavior because the complete legalist can look good to others and be out of touch with God. 
I am morally pure in appearance. And yet, as God says, inwardly there are dead men's bones because I am not in touch with God. Well, most of us aren't that concerned with that because we know that our external behaviors are not in line with God. Anybody there? You know, your spouse says something and you snap in a way that's not very godly. Or you do turn on or listen to stuff, even after a sermon that makes it clear the right and the wrong way. You go and do the wrong way anyway. I knew a, a, a girl who went to our academies her whole life, and during her senior year, she took part in a, a don't-do-drugs um, uh, play for her school, for parent-teacher day. I could just see her parents being proud and the parents, oh, I wish my child was as good as that. And then two days later, she's doing LSD with her friends. That's human nature, folks. We are a mess. And if we depend on ourselves to keep ourselves pure, it's not going to happen. But it's not just an external thing. Remember, it's diabolical. You can look good. You can be an elder. You can have people look into you saying, wow. And meanwhile, be completely out of touch with God. Let me read from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 25 in this publication. The words of Jesus, Blessed are the pure in heart, have a deeper meaning. Not merely pure in the sense which the world understands purity, free from that which is sensual, from lust, but true and pure in the hidden purposes and motives of the soul, free from pride and self-seeking, humble, unselfish. That is the level of heart we're looking at the motive level, the, the stuff that we can't always see. So when David in Psalm 19 writes, keep your servant from presumptuous sins, the word presumptuous is another word for pride, prideful. The block that's in our eye that makes us think that we can go tell somebody else how to live when we're actually in the heart level, blind to our own need, our Laodicean mentality. We might be one moment riding high on the mountain and the next deep in the valley. Humanity has written those lyrics in song after song because it's a common experience. But not till we recognize our need are we likely to take hold of the provision. And sadly, Robin Williams, as nice a guy as he was, did not seem interested in what Jesus Christ had to offer the secret place of the Most High God, the Word of God, because he had spent a career undermining the words of God. 
his mind didn't see it being important to appeal to that God. He might have used the words. He might have used the words, God, help me. But then his answer for what God was in his help could have been completely different than what the Bible offered. Because after his bouts of depression and darkness and drug abuse, he would go back to it. And this isn't to talk him down. I praise, praise God that he's merciful and I would hope to see Robin Williams in heaven someday. But my concern is those of us who are alive here today who might think that I got it covered. I'm a good enough Christian. I can handle it. While meanwhile, we're listening to things or watching things that are infiltrating our minds so we are not ready when that day approaches. And it sure seems to be approaching. So this is not, this whole series has not been nearly as much about being ready for the day in the sense of watch, for, watch the signs as much as watch how you watch. Watch, guard your minds from infiltration in the name of entertainment. That's a simple, easy, concise statement, isn't it? But when you're tired, when your brain's tired, your body, and you've been given all day, and you just want a little me time, you turn something on, and in a flash, it can go from friendly stuff to stuff that you know is not in harmony with God's Word, more to be desired than gold. Well, when you're real tired, kind of takes some energy to read the Bible. I don't have any. So let me just turn on the TV and see what's on. Or if you're under 30 or 20 or whatever it is, the Internet or Facebook or whatever. None of those things, none of those medias are bad in themselves. It's what you look at that infiltrates your mind with a point of view that carries the potential to eliminate your perspective as God would have you see. The last sign Jesus said of the end is that what? Anybody know? The last sign is that the whole earth is filled with the gospel. The gospel has been preached to all the world. doesn't say they'll all accept it, but it goes out to all the world. He's not waiting for the Pope to take over. He's waiting for his people to wake up and take it seriously and look at their neighbors, friends, family church members, and think to themselves, if time's really running short, God, give me your spirit that I will awaken now and not wait for the end. Because according to the Bible, it comes like a thief in the night. And the majority aren't ready, including a lot of people who call themselves Christians. The thief comes in to kill and destroy and steal. John 10.10 But Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. 
You see, Jesus, I think, did use some humor in some of his things. But it was to make men think. Not to infiltrate them with satanic thinking like the enemy does. Jesus wants you to reason together with him, to have an active mind, to be able to critically reflect. The enemy's not playing by those rules. He just wants to get in through any means he can. And the crazy thing is, so many people are just handing their minds over to him. Not in the name of Satan, in the name of entertainment, in the name of boredom, in the name of a couple of moments of, I'm not having any fun right now. What can be fun? What can I do for fun? I'm not making fun of you by saying these things these way because I'm just as prone to doing things that I know I shouldn't do as you. But I've been farther down some roads maybe than you have and know how dark darkness can be. And unlike Robin Williams, perhaps, I turned back to Jesus Christ and said, save me from my weak, unchristlike self and took his words seriously and not humorously. Do you? Because I think that'll be the ultimate determining factor of which camp we are in. The vast majority of the world that thinks the word of God is funny, thinks his judgment, his standards are something to laugh at, or the one that trembles at his word for its worth, its power, its value. In our passage, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant from pride-centered sins. Your commandments are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. More to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey. And moreover, by them, your servant is warned. It's good stuff and even more, they warn you. They expose the enemy, his infiltration. So what do we do now? Do we hear a message like this and then do we yawn like I just heard somebody do? <clears throat> I remember reading some about uh, the intensity of the end time and looking at the signs and seeing how close it is and thinking, man, and then I went outside and I watered my lawn and I was just struck with the contrast of end time crazy stuff and I got to keep my lawn green. That's funny, isn't it? It's real. It's funny on some level, but it's tragic on another. I'm not saying not to keep your lawn green. Because while I was watering, I was reflecting on what I was reading. And I was also reflecting on the dichotomy. If time's really short, I don't want to promote some kind of apocalyptic madness here. But to check yourself what you're watching. Have that little part of your mind critically reflect on what you're doing. Keep your mind in God's Word, not 
but keep his word in your mind enough to what you're doing. You are checking by God's word. I will not set any unclean thing before my eyes. Is this thing I'm watching unclean? Is what I'm listening to cool? Cool by God or cool by the world? Is it just a habit I've had all my life and, you know, this is just me, God, you're going to have to get over it. I'm just this way. Or we just say one of those blank prayers, thank you, Jesus, you forgive sins. Or do we get down dirty, honest, and say, thank you for giving this sin that I have, that I do, that I have no hope for unless you change my heart, God. That kind of prayer. Instead of, oh, thank you for the nice food, it's God. I remember that most of the world goes to bed hungry. Thank you for food. And I'm not saying you be intense 24-7, but you don't let go of what God makes available. I shudder at the thought that one day I'm standing inside the city of God and I'm looking outside and seeing somebody that I know I preached a message to that they did not take seriously. And because of it, they are outside that city. Eternal darkness. No more. I shudder even more at the thought of me being out that city, outside that city, looking in, having preached the sermon against the very thing that I myself was lost because of. That's real. We are real. We got to wake up. Even the world says, wake up. One of the point one percenters writes an open letter to his other point one percenters who contain so much of the world's wealth and says, watch out, the pitchforks are coming. The more we gather wealth to ourselves at the cost of the other 99, the more we're setting up pre-French Revolution days and our time is numbered. There are warning signs all over. What do we do with them? We take ourselves to Jesus and let Him cleanse us. Let us give Him our hearts and pray, save us in spite of our weak, unchristlike selves. No matter how good we look on the inside, Lord, even to ourselves, help us cooperate with You so we are clean all the way down so we will know you and know what the signs mean and what to do with them. In response, let's stand together and sing our closing hymn. Number 326, sing this as a prayer. And you'll know what I mean when we sing it. That was your prayer? Let me see the sign, the hand of those who that was your prayer. Then to that I say amen. amen. We are in a time such as none other, standing before a time that no one wants to be a part of. But we must have God's Spirit to recognize it for what it is and how to go about living in this world such as it is.
that what we just sang is our hope. His word is presented to us as what enlightens our eyes. But his spirit is what draws us to it so that we will never let go. I just preached for 30 minutes. We've talked previously about how the metaphor, how television itself affects our way of thinking of life. I don't think in Jesus' day they went by a minute. Hey, 12 o'clock, sermon should be over. I pray that your stomach didn't talk to you louder than God's word. That we will be ready when he comes. Loving Father, that is our prayer, that song. We, we, are, we tremble at our, our vulnerability, the frailty of our frame that we are made of, and yet we rejoice in that Jesus died that we may live. That he didn't just die and walk away. He is still available to us now through your spirit. That though the enemy is near his strongest as he's ever been to deceive people, you can enlighten our eyes, our thinking, our perception, so that we stand among the few that are ready when Jesus comes because we have not taken part of the spirit. I should say that we have overcome the spirit that laughs at your word because it's been made to be funny. I pray for each one here, Father, that we are not just standing now, but when Jesus comes in his...